When Mary, the mother of Jesus, was discovered to be pregnant before she and Joseph were officially married, Joseph decided to not fully follow the law, which would have Mary publicly exposed. And yet, even before the angel of the Lord explained things to Joseph, he was declared to be a righteous man. How can a Jew who did not follow the letter of the law be declared righteous? Wasn't righteousness for the Jews obtained by strict obedience to the law? Maybe we have missed something in our understanding about the laws of the Old Testament. Who are heaven's heroes in God's hall of faith? Sunday School for Children is where we first begin to learn about the many different characters of the Bible. We learn about David and Goliath, Samson and Delilah, Abraham and Isaac, Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve, and many more. Each of these provide a background of excitement to the stories of the Bible as we learn about the many mighty acts of the heroes of the faith. We've seen some of these stories portrayed on the big screen, so we know about Charlton Heston, Victor Mature, and Hedy Lamar. Um, actually, I mean Moses, Samson, and Delilah. Many of these are listed in the Hall of Heroes of Hebrews chapter 11. There are others who are not listed in that section and of whom we seldom hear. One of those is Joseph, the husband of Mary and the foster father of Jesus. There are only a couple of instances where his name is mentioned in the Gospels for the part he played in the early years of Jesus' life. One of those was in today's Gospel reading. There are some interesting points to be gleaned from this little vignette into the life of Joseph. So let's take a look. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, Joseph and Mary were not officially married yet when it was discovered that Mary was pregnant. Most of us today can remember when an unwed mother carried greater shame than being gay. In Jewish society, it was even worse. The possibility of being stoned to death was always near. The Pharisees came and they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? The scribes and Pharisees were demanding justice according to the law of Moses, as we read here in John chapter 8. The human idea of justice is that there should be a punishment for every offense, and the Jews were very strict on that point. For them, justice ruled. But notice what we find out about Joseph. Her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. It says that Joseph was just, but he didn't want public satisfaction for having been offended. Why wouldn't he want everyone to know that he had been defrauded of his conjugal rights? Why shouldn't he put Mary to open shame so that she would be recognized as damaged goods? What do we do with that? 
Let's consider the word just as used in this verse. Now, we have different meanings of the word just in our English language. We say, I just want some peace and quiet, or I just want to go lie down and rest. We are communicating the idea of simplicity, one thing only. You may have thought of that that way when you read the title of the sermon as Just Joseph. That is not the way the word is used here. The word in the Greek is also translated as righteous. The split of the translations between just and righteous is almost 50-50. And that still brings us back to the original conundrum. If Joseph was righteous, then why did he not want public retribution for having been made a fool of? Why did he not want to follow the law of Moses in the arena of justice? Moses commanded an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, equal punishment for any offense. Now, if we had followed that line of thinking for long, the whole world would be blind and toothless. There must be something to the biblical concept of righteousness that we may be missing. For the Jews and for our understanding of the Old Testament, righteousness has to do with doing right. We have heard the saying, do right to be right. It has been emphasized in our culture from the time we were children. Do you remember Dudley Do-Right? We were given Dudley Do-Right from the Rocky and Bullwinkle cartoon show. And the romper room gave us Mr. Doobie. You remember Mr. Doobie? There's nothing inherently wrong with teaching children how to behave in a civilized society. However, these thoughts were adopted by the church and became the basis for our understanding of our righteousness in Christ. Becoming a Christian has devolved into behavioral rectification rather than a life of faith, as Paul calls for in Romans chapter 1. For in it, he's speaking of the gospel, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. In this first chapter of Romans, Paul is establishing the basis for the gospel, which is contrary to all that the Jews practiced and believed. The gospel is not focused on cleaning up our behavior, but about bringing us to the knowledge of our salvation, which Jesus provided. Now, indeed, our behavior may change as a result of that knowledge. For some of us, it probably needed to change. But it is not a requirement for righteousness. Faith is the requirement for righteousness. We use the word righteousness to mean our right standing before God. For us, we know that it means acknowledging Jesus as Savior. For the Jews, however, right standing was achieved by doing what the law required. Now, what I'm about to show you may make grappling with the Old Testament a little more difficult than it already is, but I know the Lord's going to give you an understanding. Because an interesting point is that in many places in the Old Testament, there are statements which should have led the Jews to understand the reality of God's desire. And I want you to look at some of them. 
In Micah chapter 6 and verse 8, we read, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, this verse has been set to music and quoted often, and many of you probably have it memorized. <coughs> Excuse me. Standing alone, the full meaning may not be readily apparent. So let's get the full context of what this verse has. Beginning in verse 6 of Micah, it says, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before, high, before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Verse 7, Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands river of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Now the prophet here speaking for the Lord is asking if what he had known all his life was a reality with God. What is the right way to come before the Lord? Am I really supposed to bring burnt offerings? Is that what God requires of me for him to like me? Maybe I haven't given enough. Maybe I need to increase my service to God by doing more, by giving more. Will that help? No. And he gives the answer in verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? The word translated justice in that passage is not the same as the word we are considering about righteousness. It's about setting things right in society. So we can see then that there's nothing about righteous deeds contained in Micah's prophecy. In fact, Isaiah, who was a contemporary of Micah, speaks very negatively about our acts of trying to be righteous. In chapter 64 and verse 6 of Isaiah, we read, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. That polluted garment, what would it be like, ladies, if your mechanic husband came in from working on the car with his greasy rag that he'd used and set it down at the table and began to use that as a napkin? Well, the idea of polluted garment is even worse than that. Now, David had a revelation that probably spun his head around when it first came to him. He re we read in Psalm 40 and verse 6, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, my ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. Now this is David, King David, a man after God's own heart as we read in Scripture. And he's saying, Sacrifice and burnt offering is not what you wanted. And yet here he is in the middle of uh, the history of the Old Testament, offering sacrifice, burnt offerings, and he gets a revelation. In fact, when he tried to bring the tabernacle back from its captivity, it said that he had gone to great lengths to bring that tabernacle back because he had brought it back and got frustrated at the beginning. 
And then we read in 2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 13, though, on this second attempt. And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he, that is David, sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. He was big into sacrifice. He was rejoicing and offering more than was required. Now, these are not isolated thoughts within the Old Testament. The psalmist, the judges, and the prophets all had this same revelation. Yet the leaders continued to focus the people's attention on strict requirements of fulfilling the law. David says again after Nathan the prophet confronted him with his sin with Bathsheba, David says in Psalm 51 and verse 16, For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. Yet we know that Leviticus contains the requirements of sacrifice for David's cleansing. What are we to make of that? Is the Bible contradicting itself? Or is there the possibility of continued revelation as things build and, and men and women begin to gain a greater understanding of what God is saying? <clears throat> I'm going to show you some of that in a few more verses. But there's so many more places where we can see this, but I only have time to show you a few and try not to make long comments about them. No promises, though. In 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 22, we read, And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. So there's one thing given there. We know what's required, but there's something beyond that that's even better. So the idea of ritual keeping of the law doesn't satisfy the need for righteousness. We read in Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 11, What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. Now this is Isaiah speaking for the Lord. And we'll see a mind bender given to us in Jeremiah chapter 7 and verse 22 where he says, For in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, I did not speak to your fathers or command them concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now that's got to be an eye opener and a head spinner once you see it. We talked about it a few weeks ago. Finally, we come to what may have affected Joseph and his dealings with Mary before the Lord explained everything to him. <clears throat> Hosea chapter 6 and verse 6 says, For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. So it would appear that Joseph also understood that righteousness was not found in all manner of religious activity and the keeping of the law, but in showing mercy. There was no need for him or Mary to offer the two turtle doves required for sacrifice for her being pregnant. Now remember, this was before the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph and 
explain things to him. Jesus' words to the Pharisees about this is something we should all take to heart and begin to meditate on. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 13, he spoke to the Pharisees, he said, go and learn what this means. And he quotes that passage from Hosea. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, this is Jesus speaking. In Hosea, we could say that was Hosea's thought, but he was speaking for God, and Jesus qualifies it and uh, advocates it, sets it right. He says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Brothers and sisters, that is the meaning of righteousness. That's what God wants from us, that's his desire. Mercy triumphs over justice. What is mercy? Is it not letting the guilty go free in one manner of speaking? It is in our thought because we think punishment is justice. But God says that mercy is a greater justice than trying to match the law and giving punishment for every offense. So I ask you, Will you take the next few days before we celebrate Jesus' birth to think about how you might apply these thoughts in your daily life and conversation? Amen.